Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And welcome back to our final regular season episode from the flat, Georgia Tech and Georgia Clean Old Fashioned Hate Week here in the Peach State. We've got a lot in store for you this week, a visit with Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford, a visit from Yellow Jacket legend Harrison Butker. But to kick things off, we've got our opposing viewpoint insider, Seth Emerson, with The Athletic joins us. He's been on the Georgia Bulldog beat since 2010. And Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Well, Seth, let's go ahead and start with this. Since Georgia Tech's victory in Sanford Stadium two years ago, uh, the Bulldogs are 12-0 and at home with an average margin of victory nearly 30 points. And they haven't even faced a second-half deficit since that 2016 loss to Georgia Tech. How do you not have a single hiccup or slip-up or bad day uh, over that two-year period? They've been so consistent at home. Why is that? I, I think it's reflective a lot of just – having a good team, a very good team, look at some of the away games, and it's been kind of the same deal. They pretty much played the way they should against the competition. Um, obviously, they lost badly at LSU this year, the way they lost badly at Auburn last year, two road games. They've had some games where they were a little bit sloppy in winning, such as this year against Missouri but also at home against Tennessee, which proven to be kind of a plucky bunch. But, yeah, I, mean, it's, I think it's just reflective of two good teams. But it, it is. I mean, Sanford Stadium, if people have been there, it's a great home environment. It's a very underrated, kind of nationally uh, tough place to play. Not not as tough to play as it could be. They've, they've tried to work on the environment a little bit, um, get it going. But And, and I'm going to write about this at the Athletic may have seen the story already by the time people hear this, but um, noon games are renowned for not having that atmosphere. You know, the students aren't here this week because of fall break. They weren't there for the UMass game. I mean, some were, but if fall break had begun. And Georgia Tech's last two wins here, as in the last two games here, period, were noon games, and Saturday is as well. Uh, and I'm not using that to predict a Georgia Tech upset. I'm just saying that that does impact the atmosphere sometimes. For as much as folks talk about Georgia Tech's rushing game, and they should, it's number one nationally. Georgia has traditionally had a, a world-class running offense as well. And two key losses from last year, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. It seems like the dogs haven't skipped a beat with DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield. Uh, why has that transition been so seamless, and how much of that is attributed to the offensive line and the players around them versus Swift and Holyfield specifically? A lot of it's the offensive line. That said, they're not just plugging any inanimate objects back there and running with them. People forget that really with DeAndre Swift last year, he was the third part of a three-headed monster. He was, I think he was Georgia's leading rusher in the SEC championship uh, last year against Auburn. Swift altered that dynamic and, He's been kind of joined by Holyfield this year. Holyfield has risen up and and had a really good year, but that shouldn't be a shock either because he's a guy who came in with a lot of publicity. He was a four-star recruit. So you combine that with a good offensive line, uh, even though they've 
dealt with a lot of injuries and are still dealing with them as, as Georgia Tech comes in. Um, and, and that's why you have a pretty good running game still, despite those two guys that are now in the NFL. Can you share some details on those injuries? Obviously, we're speaking earlier in the week, and, and these things tend to change and develop uh, over the course of the week moving into Saturday. But what are the most significant question marks for Georgia entering this Saturday? Yeah, the, the guy to watch, speaking on the offensive line, is Ben Cleveland. Um, he has not started since the Missouri game, which was game four. Uh, broke his leg, uh, fibula, fibula. I always forget which of the two, but um, he – he, he's been well enough to play on special teams but not start yet. I don't think he'll start this week. Um, there without Kendall Baker, who was one of his backups, he's going to be out for a while. He has a knee injury. There without Cade Mays, who started in Ben Cleveland's place at right guard and has a shoulder injury. On, on defense, that could loom a little bit larger. Monty Rice, inside linebacker, was their leading tackler. Then he hurt himself in warm-ups for the UMass game. Foot injury. Looks like he's out this week. Could be out for the SEC championship. And they're still suffering some injuries. They've got some guys they've been without on the defensive line for a while now um, who won't be back. But those guys have been out since the LSU game, so they've had time to work in other people on the defensive line. It's the Monty Rice injury that looms a little large this week. When it comes to Georgia's defense as a whole, I believe it was uh, earlier this week or a couple weeks ago where Coach Kirby Smart came out and said that being a good sack tackle for loss team is not who we are right now, but we are yeah. awfully good at limiting the big plays. Is that indicative of how Georgia's played this year? I know the stats certainly back that up uh, when it comes to limiting the explosive plays for opposing offenses. He and I were going back and forth on that. Kirby was pretty kind of acknowledging something that's a deficiency, which is the pass rush. They are not a team that can create a pass rush without a blitz, which is going to affect them a lot less this week, obviously, than it will the following week. But for now, it's definitely a concern that you just worry about for Alabama. But, yeah, that's who they are. They get some tackles for loss, but not a lot from their back end. When they've gotten a lot of tackles for loss, it's been – of the one, two, three, four-yard variety from their defensive linemen. Um, some of these guys are, are getting that initial pack and rush and, and getting those plays. But that's when they were facing more two-dimensional teams. So this week, we'll see. I mean, J.R. Reed, strong safety, played against the triple option last year. He's going to see a lot more action. I mean, he's going to see as much action as he did, and that, that helps them, and he's going to be able to focus on the run. It's going to be pretty interesting to see because Georgia's run defense is the weakness of this team. I mean, we were talking about the pass rush, but their lack of a pass rush wasn't hurting them. Their run defense, however, was an issue right up until the Kentucky game when they shut down Benny Snell and was a mm-hmm. pretty good Kentucky rushing offense. Um, also stopped Auburn But I'm not sure that those issues have been solved. I wrote of the final four games, I think Georgia Tech may be the diciest proposition for Georgia because of the run defense. So we'll see. That we will. Well, Seth, thanks so much for the time. And if uh, other Tech fans want to continue to get that view from behind enemy lines, where can they find your work and follow you on social media? Well, on social media, it is at Seth W. Emerson on Twitter. 
and hopefully everyone knows about The Athletic these days. It's pretty simple. You just go to www.theathletic.com if you have a subscription. Great. You probably know where to find us. If you don't, I heartily encourage it and go there and uh, we've got everything. We've got Tori McElhaney covering Georgia Tech for us too, and she's doing a great job as well. Yeah, I will second that. The Athletic's got uh, not only – uh, the national scene covered, but they do a great job uh, when it comes to all things uh, Atlanta and the Georgia area. Uh, Seth, thanks again. When we come back, we visited by former Yellow Jacket legend and uh, a fan favorite this time of year for the Jackets, Harrison Butker. That's the other side of this break on From the Flats. Butker marks off his steps. Rodwell will hold it. 53-yarder left hash to send this thing to overtime. Here comes the kick. It's on the way. And it is good! Butker got it! He cleared it by about a half yard, but he got it! And we're tied at 24 and destined for overtime! What a kick! What a kick by Harrison Butker! An unforgettable moment in Athens as Harrison Butker hits from 53 yards out to force overtime. An impossible comeback in the final 18 seconds. We're now joined by Harrison Butker, who played such a big role and Georgia Tech's last two wins in Athens. And Harrison, before we get to clean old-fashioned hate, I've got to ask you about Los Angeles Rams, Kansas City Chiefs. Some are calling it the best regular season game in NFL history. What was it like playing in that game on Monday night? It was amazing. That was my first time playing in the Coliseum. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype around it, and it definitely uh, felt like a playoff game. We knew that going into it, and we knew it was going to be the biggest game of the season. We didn't know maybe in NFL history, but – um, no, it was a great game, extremely exciting game, high scoring. Uh, I think that's hopefully a, a preview of, of what could happen maybe down the line in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. But, um, no, I think we learned a lot from that game. Unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to get the W. But, um, no, that was, that was an amazing game, I'm sure. You know, I was pretty locked in the whole game. But from the outside perspective as a fan, I'm sure that was just unbelievable to watch. What's the biggest difference between playing in the ACC and at the college level versus the NFL? Well, uh, I think in the NFL, every game's a huge game. You know, in college, you're, you're, you're studying, you're taking tests, especially at a place like Georgia Tech. And then, you know, you also have a game uh, on a Saturday afternoon. But in the NFL, like your whole week, everything that you do is centered around this one game on Sunday. As in college, at least for me, it was hard to, to prepare as I wanted to almost with, with all the distractions with school, with, with not getting sleep and everything like that. So um, I just think I'm I'm able to flourish even more being able to put all my energy just into to football and doing my job well. In the NFL, no one game is necessarily necessarily more important than the other. Obviously, you have your division rivals, which will be critical. But uh, for Georgia Tech, this is one that gets circled on the calendar very early, as soon as that schedule comes out in January. And to be honest with you, I think everyone knows when this game is going to be. It'll be the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Georgia Tech in Georgia. What do you remember about this week of preparation and getting set for this game? I mean, it's one of the biggest games of the year. I mean, uh, growing up, I was a, a Georgia Tech fan, and I was always watching the the Georgia-Georgia Tech game on, on Thanksgiving weekend. So, um, you know, I, I think everybody looks forward to that game every year. And uh, I loved it when we played in Athens. You know, we've done well with it in uh, 2014 and 2016 over there. Um, but it's a big game, and I think we always perform well against them. And, um, you know, I think we're going to do the same this year. What do you remember about that 2014 game? It was in some ways similar to the game you played just this past Monday night, just so bizarre and so many twists and turns. Yeah, that was my sophomore year. First time playing in Athens. You know, we had seen a lot of film of, of Georgia Stadium and everything. And 
all the red, but um, it was cool to finally go out there and say, you know what, we, we can handle this. We're good enough for this environment, and for this team. And then we went out there, we had no quit in us, in us and uh, you know, we, we did a great job getting the ball into field goal range. And then I was able to, to make the kick and then we went to overtime and finished the game. So that, that was huge. I always remember that season to, to beat Georgia and then go on to win the Orange Bowl. Um, you know, I think hopefully something similar is going to happen this year, but uh, it's a huge game and I know uh, we'll be ready for it. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever actually had the chance to ask you this question, but you go back and watch uh, that final kick of regulation in 2014. The play clock was winding down pretty quick and then Georgia elects to call timeout. Would you have been ready to kick it uh, if Georgia hadn't called that timeout? Did that help you? Did it hurt you? What was going on through your mind? as you're trying to tie the game uh, with the 53-yarder? Honestly, I'm never watching the play clock. I mean, I think I, I glanced at it, but uh, usually uh, Ryan Rodwell, he'll say, like, no, Harrison, we got to hurry up, or he'll just snap the ball. So I, th I think Ryan would have gotten it off, but, man, is it close? And honestly, I was oblivious to it. So luckily, uh, Mark Rick called the timeout and kind of saved us a little bit. I didn't realize it until after the game, and my dad told me. Uh, so, so that's pretty crazy, but luckily he did call the timeout, and I think that definitely helped us. Do you view that 2014 kick as, as a moment where you kind of establish yourself at the college level? Obviously, it was, it was the tail end of your sophomore year, and, and you and I have spoken before about, you know, kind of within that 30-yard range, things were a little shaky but uh, early on in your career, but able to iron that out. Do you view that 2014 kick as kind of your moment in, at Georgia Tech to where, okay, I'm now officially in a certain company? I think so. I mean, I, I've always had confidence in my abilities, and I think uh, – at my time at Georgia Tech, especially 2013 and 2014, and even every year, it's like, except for probably my senior year, but every year I felt like my numbers were never showing the the type of kicker I was, the type of quality kicker I was. So finally in 2014, it was like, I, I finally made a big kick that mattered and kind of showed some people what my abilities were. So I think that definitely was the start of something. Um, I definitely always had confidence in myself. It was just now okay, other people now believe in me a little bit, you know, but I completely agree with you. I, I was shaky in uh, close range, and my, my percentages weren't that great, actually, in college. I've, I've been joking. It's like every year that I'm removed from college, it's like my uh, my, my stats in my career at Tech keep getting better and better, you know. Um, but, no, I, I, I struggled a lot in college. <laughs> Well, speaking of, of kicking, uh, as, a, as a young player at college, Wesley Wells has come on the scene. Uh, he was dynamite this past weekend, the win over Virginia. We had Scott Sisson actually on the podcast uh, last week entering that game, and he was saying, hey, you know, I love scoring touchdowns. Wouldn't mind seeing Wesley Wells get a few more opportunities, and that he did going four for four, uh, two high-pressure kicks late in the fourth quarter in overtime. Have you had a chance to watch him or interact with him, and what are your thoughts on the freshman kicker for Georgia Tech? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was watching that Virginia game and I've been covering the Jackets this whole season, but I'm just super proud of him. And, uh, you know, those are huge kicks. College football, big games. I mean, you got to have ice in your veins for those kicks. Um, I think the biggest thing is just is following that up with the same type of work ethic that that's gotten you to that point. You know, I think is he eight for eight now, I think. Yeah, he's eight for eight now and he's he's doing great. I'm I'm just so happy for him. And you know, he just needs to keep that that work ethic going, and I think he's going to have a a great career at Georgia Tech. Um, so yeah, I'm super I'm super proud of him as a kicker. I'm always hoping that uh, other kickers are doing well. I could never hope for a kicker to to be performing badly, even if they're on the the other team. But just so happy for him to come in and and handle that role so well. Harrison, thanks again for joining us. And, and before we let you go, uh, what are your plans uh, Saturday at noon? I know you're out of town and going to be hanging out with the family. You have a chance to watch uh, clean old fashioned hate. 
definitely. I brought my uh, my Georgia Tech polo with me to New York. I'll be watching the game. Um, yeah, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a plan. Hopefully we can keep this uh, run going in Athens. That's Harrison Bucker joining us. And when we come back, we'll visit with Andy, Demetra, and Sean Bedford and get their thoughts on what Georgia Tech needs to accomplish to get a big win on Saturday. This is the From the Flats podcast. This punt hung high. Wanya Thomas underneath it, right side numbers at the 25, sprints up to the 40, 45-50, breaks to the middle, he's at the 40, 35, Wanya Thomas, 25-20, 15-10, Wanya Thomas at the 5, and he's in, touchdown Jackets, that's why he's here, because that's what he does. And that is why they are so good at what they do, one of the best radio crews in all of college football, bringing the Wanya Thomas 77-yard free kick return to life on Saturday afternoon into the evening against the Virginia Cavaliers. Another win for the Jackets. They've won 6 of 7. We're joined by Andy Demetra, Sean Bedford, and guys, Wesley Wells goes 4 for 4 in field goals. We get the free kick return, a safety. Would you call this the most creative win for Georgia Tech this year? Well, it was certainly one of the more unorthodox scoring sequences you'll ever see in college football. It's not often you see a, uh, you know, a safety followed by a free kick return for a touchdown followed by a two-point conversion and that's about the fastest 10-point swing you can have but I think it speaks volumes about the way this team managed to scrape together points and figure out a way to win even when the offense wasn't always clicking particularly in the red zone and I think it's also a testament to the the special teams and how well they performed in this game you know that safety may have been forced by the defense but that doesn't happen without a beautiful punt by Presley Harvin that gets down to the one that would be the absolute unit Presley Harvin. Yeah, that was a tremendous one. Uh, sometimes you have to be resourceful, guys, uh, to get your points. And look, Georgia Tech was outgained by Virginia, but Virginia is probably regretting what they saw on the scoreboard and their missed opportunities much more so than the Yellow Jackets. And I think sometimes you forge your own good fortune. And, uh, and, and Saturday was a perfect example of that. And Georgia Tech was able to, like you said, Wiley, scrape together the points and albeit in odd and sometimes bizarre fashion to get the win. But they've put themselves in the position to make those points happen. And so I think that just continues a trend that we've seen of Georgia Tech uh, being resilient, uh, units carrying each other, and getting the points that they need. Both of you guys alluded to it uh, in your first comments, but a season-low 13 first downs for Tech scored just one touchdown in the four red zone trips. Why do you think Tech struggled so much offensively? I think it was a combination of a couple of things, not the least of which was Virginia's defense. And UVA did a really good job of playing up tight to the line, uh, trusting their cornerbacks in coverage and not allowing Tech to pose much of a threat in the passing game. Beyond that, there were some outstanding individual performances, particularly by some of their linebackers. But that also speaks to what Tech failed to do, which was there wasn't consistent success blocking at the second level. And I think a lot of that falls on the, the offensive line, in particular the tackles need to do a better job of getting up to those linebackers. And you know, guys, I thought one of the more remarkable numbers to come out of Saturday's game was that Georgia Tech converted 10 of 18 third downs. Because, boy, given some of their struggles to consistently move the ball, it sure didn't feel like it. More times than not, it seemed like they were in third and five, third and six, third and seven, but they were able to manufacture the play when they needed to. And sometimes uh, when things aren't perfect, they aren't razor sharp, you got to be opportunistic. You got to at least make the right play at the right time. And Georgia Tech certainly did that on Saturday. 
Let's turn our attention to Georgia, 10-1, uh, undefeated in the SEC East, 7-1 uh, overall in the Southeastern Conference. They lost a lot from last year's team, but the headliners, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, might be gone, but, boy, DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield have stepped right in and filled those shoes just fine. What do you guys make of the Bulldogs this year? Well, they're loaded with talent, as you always expect them to be. And, you know, you just look at the guys they have coming back. The first thing that, that really strikes me is the offense. And, the production they've been getting from the likes of DeAndre Swift, who was sort of the third horse in that stable last year, um, and Elijah Holyfield, along with the passing threat, you know, and the, the downfield threat that Riley Ridley poses, it's a potent offense for sure. So Tech is going to have to be prepared for that. Now, defensively, they haven't been quite as stout, especially against the run, as they were last year. And, you know, I think when you look at what they lost in terms of talent from that defense last year, that shouldn't come as any surprise. And Roquan Smith probably had a good argument to be, if not the best defensive player in the country last year, certainly one of them. Um, so I think Tech is is going to be looking at this saying, how do we attack this defense? Where can we make some headway and and hope that they're, uh, you know, they're going to have to recognize that field goals are not going to win this game. They're going to have to put touchdowns on the board to keep pace with what could be a uh, a very high octane Georgia offense. Yeah, they're, they're, they're potent on the ground, just like Georgia Tech. I was looking at the numbers, and Georgia's seventh in the country in rushes of 10 or more yards. Georgia Tech is number one. Uh, so DeAndre Swift has stepped in and not skipped a beat after Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. And Michelle, in particular, was the guy who, who had a habit of gouging the Yellow Jackets. I think their offensive line blocking is better this year than it was last year. But as you noted, Sean, they are a little more vulnerable in giving up runs, uh, 4.2 yards a carrier thereabouts uh, against the run, which is their la largest average since 2014. And what I'll be curious to see on Saturday is, can they have an impact playmaker in the mold of a Roquan Smith? Because we saw last year, he was so good. And there was a reason why he was a first round pick because of how versatile and nimble and athletic he was in defending the option from that linebacker spot. Who's that guy that can be the Rokon Smith and that lodestar on defense for Georgia? I'm sure that's a question circulating in Athens as well. And if somebody like that does emerge, how can Georgia Tech neutralize that? That'll be a really interesting chess match that we're going to get to see unfold on Saturday. You look at Georgia Tech's last three wins in Athens, and it seems to always have at least one or, or two underclassmen who are right in the middle of it. Roddy Jones back in 2008, a monster game as a freshman. Harrison Butker, the big kicks, is a sophomore in 2014. And, of course, Quay Searcy in 2016. For Tech to pull off another big upset this Saturday in Athens, what underclassmen might you be looking at to make a big play? Well, I, I think you mentioned Harrison Butker, and I think Wesley Wells may have an opportunity to make a name for himself as well. And, you know, I just said that field goals aren't going to win this game for Tech. They're going to need touchdowns. But you never know when that moment is going to come where Tech all of a sudden needs that last-minute field goal or they're in a position where there's a, a high-pressure situation and you need, you need a kick or even a, a big-time extra point. That can make all the difference in a game that historically has been pretty close. So I think Wesley Wells is a good pick uh, to keep an eye on in this game. I'm going to go with Jerry Howard. Uh, he's the guy who's really come on strong of late, and you need that guy who can soften up the interior of a defense. Jerry's given pretty solid production every time he's carried it. He has to make sure he keeps that ball high and tight, avoid the fumbles that have plagued Georgia Tech at times this year. And both he and Jordan Mason have done a good job in sticking their blocks uh, the second half of this season. And I think if Georgia Tech wants to stress the edges of that Georgia defense, uh, lead blocks from guys like Jerry and Jordan will have to come into play. They can't whiff because 
Georgia's just too athletic, and you have to stay out of negative or short yardage plays, especially on those first and second downs. So give me uh, jo- uh, Jerry Howard with the runner-up honors and Jordan Mason as far as underclassmen who can make an impact. Well, each of those three previous wins were noon starts in Athens. Each of them on the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network. It'll be the same story this Saturday, 10 a.m. Our pregame coverage begins. Andy, Sean, it's been a blast this season. Thanks for carving out the time every week to join us. And we look forward to uh, going along for the ride with you guys on Saturday. Thanks, Wally. What's the good word? Oh, yes, what's the good word? I echo Sean's sentiment. What's the good word, Wally? (laughs) To hell with Georgia. We'll see how it goes. Everyone, thanks for tuning in and hope we've got good news on Saturday in Athens. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage, and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.